Hello and welcome to Silence, a podcast where women get really honest about surviving and thriving in what often feels like a man's world. My guests are wonder women from the fields of science, technology, engineering and mathematics or STEM, where inclusivity and diversity can be a real problem. I know this only too well as a female Southeast Asian mechanical engineer. I was kind of a minority within a minority. I'm Dr. Janice O'Mara, an engineer turned broadcaster. Throughout my career, I've worked on and reported on some cutting edge technology and innovation. And through my TV work, I've met some incredibly inspiring women from a diverse range of STEM fields. Talking to these exceptional ladies has left me feeling empowered, hopeful and excited about life. I believe silence will enrich you too. Every week, a woman in STEM shares her unique experiences with absolutely no pressure in having to promote her accomplishments or guard her impressive reputation. Because I've come to realize that everyone is just way more open and relaxed when they're anonymous. So I deliberately disguise my guest voices so that we're just connecting as human beings rather than human doings. It's my hope that you really relate to what we chat about today. If so, please do subscribe to Silence and maybe even rate and review the show. I'd love to have your feedback. This week, my guest is in the field of chemical engineering. Hi. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? Yeah, good, it's been a long day, but happy to be talking to you. Yeah, likewise. I must say that chemical engineering, given what I know of what you do, doesn't really adequately describe your work. What are your, like... What are your actual passions in what you do? Um, so I think sustainability or maybe be, even be going going beyond that to regeneration has always been a passion um, of mine. And um, so that's what drives me definitely. And that's what drove me to study my degree. It wasn't necessarily for the love of engineering <laughs> as much as that might um, be the case. It was to equip myself with the tools to make a change, um, to make, um, make whatever future the world looks like greener and fairer for everyone and I think um you know quite often women and also um different minorities are cut out of the conversation around building a future of whatever sort it may be um so totally. to have ticked the box of being um a mixed race a woman and then to have that skill set where you can allow yourself to talk the language of people who have been making decisions up until this point I just felt it was a good way to go yeah. I mean, how do you achieve something like regeneration in chemical engineering? Like, what does that even mean? <laughs> um, I think it's tra- it's um, it can look very different for a lot of different people. I, th- I mean, the definition of regeneration is to just leave something in a better condition than you left it. So um, right. I think historically we've always, uh, and this isn't just true of chemical engineering, I think this is true of most Western industry. We've just been very extractive in how yes. we thought about things. Mm. Um, and there's no kind of idea of putting back, may that be in the short term or the long term. Um, so I think it's just looking at uh, everything in a slightly more holistic way um, and seeing the full scale of impact. So for chemical yeah. engineering, for me, at the moment, that kind of means looking at waste streams at as a um, raw material so as a starting point um for making something new and making something exciting I think I don't think that's uh in 50 years time I hope that's still not the way we're thinking about regeneration I hope we've gone to like the next level but for now I see that as like a step towards getting there Mm. I must say that does give a different spin on the whole label of chemical engineering because 
when you think of chemical engineering, you just think of like toxic liquids and gases and things like that and clean suits. And But is yes, that what your yes. day job's like? Um, no, definitely not. I, um, I studied in Edinburgh, so I was very much um, programmed to think of chemical engineering as the oil and gas industry, obviously being so close to Aberdeen and the North right. Sea um, or the drinks industry. So um, a big recruiter of our university is Diageo, uh, so your mm. vodkas, your rums, your whiskies. Um, so it was a really limited view of, my view was really limited of what chemical engineering mm. could be. Um, but I purposefully uh, kind of rebuked that upon graduation. I wanted to work for a company that actually had um, ethics to start with <laughs> and then ideally ethics that I agreed with. Um, and I didn't just want to do a graduate for three years to maybe rotate into their sustainability division and hopefully one day, you know, work on something I wanted to do. After you know, five years at university and having studied up to that point, I was like, I want to do mm. what I want to do yeah. now, <laughs> um, which might be a bit selfish and naive way to think about things, but I, you know, that's how I went about. So my day job is definitely not toxic chemicals and clean suits. It's a lot of colour, a lot mm. of open conversation. Um, and there's still an element of changing people's minds. I think people hear the word yeah. chemicals and automatically get a bit yeah. suspicious, um, which is, yeah, I think there's... Mm it's grounded in something uh, the chemicals industry hasn't painted yeah. itself in a good light all the time um so it's still the you know I've got to change minds a bit but um I'm definitely in an environment where people are willing to listen which is mm. a privilege that I don't think a lot of people have so take me back to when you were a little girl I mean was it the dream to become a chemical engineer working in the field of sustainability and regeneration Ah, uh, no, definitely not. I didn't know chemical engineering existed until I opened up the university prospectus. So um, uh, I was late to discovering the field. I always was interested in kind of the science, uh, the STEM subjects, the more technical. Um, I um, That's always where I saw myself ending up. Um, right. So I, it came naturally to you then? Definitely. Um, I had an interest in everything, you know, I, I've been through a million possible career options in my life. I wanted to be a film. <laughs> um, I wanted to play film orchestras for a while. And then I wanted to design roller coasters. Um, but I think <laughs> um, I've always been slightly more focused on the sciencey side of things. My dad, um, so my mum and dad are quite different. My, my mum is much more um, the arts and languages. Um, and that's kind of what she's taught me. And then my dad is um, the technical. So he's a computer scientist, ID, mm. uh, IT. So I was lucky to have both in my house. But I always gravitated towards for a career, at least, um, the science side of things, the STEM subjects. Right. And then I think I've always, I don't know where it's come from, the kind of passion for sustainability or greenness or whatever you want to call it. Because mm. um, I remember being very young I in primary school so I can't have been much older than eight or nine and wanting to be an environmental lawyer so that idea oh, wow. of you know <laughs> caring for the environment it came from somewhere yeah. but I don't really know where so I think it's just um being raised in a house where everything has a value right. um and uh looking back to where my dad's family's from in the Caribbean and it, you have a different relationship um I think um with 
there's just a different relationship with nature mm. out there yeah. to how there is in the UK. So I think that taught me a lot as well. Yeah, I really relate to that, actually, because coming from the countries I come from, I just saw a huge amount of resourcefulness with waste and trash yes, yeah, um, yeah. that we just don't get here in the West. Definitely not. I also remember a defining moment of kind of environment week at secondary school. And I just thought, you know what? I really care about the environment. And I, you know, I was so mindful to never, ever litter again and to recycle. Um, But it was one moment. I wonder if that happened to you. Um, I can't think of one moment. Like I say, Mm. it feels like it's been with me for so long. I do vividly remember learning the three R's at school, the reduce, reuse, recycle. And, you know, you had to make a poster. (laughs) <laughs> on yeah. our kitchen cupboards and me being militant about people actually adhering to the three hours <laughs> in our household so I remember that is that's probably a bit of a turning point but I think the fact that there was something already there um, yeah even before that but I do remember that quite vividly um do you reckon so, yeah <laughs> do you reckon being a stem kid is really um obvious like as a kid that sort of naturally gravitated towards stem subjects was it you know, can you describe what a kid like that looks like or how they behave? Oh, no, definitely not. <laughs> no, no, no. And I think that's one of the big problems with STEM and how it's perceived nowadays. Everyone has that image of probably a boy, a little bit geeky, a little mm. bit nerdy. Um, probably a bit introverted. to communicate, yeah, yeah in, in an effective way. Um, I think that's the image that most of us conjure up, even if we don't mm. want to when that's said. Um, but I don't think, obviously, I don't think that's the case at all. Um, I've recently been speaking to a friend of mine who went to the same school, um, and she has, she went the opposite route, and she's now a graphic designer, but she was like, I'm finding all these things now where it's the crossover between art and science and maths, and had I known that that existed yeah. um, when I was at school, how different the path I would yeah. have gone on would have been, and I think um, it's a massive detriment that we separate mm. it so much, because like I say, I... Um, enjoy both sides massively. I studied English literature and language up to A Le- uh sorry, English literature and music up until A level. Oh wow. Um so I still play now. Um and it was hard for me to keep those two parts going until A level, um, because the system just isn't designed for you to be more than one. Yeah. So were you a really overstretched kid then, trying to juggle all of that? Definitely. Uh, like it's things as little as I mean, I was always <laughs> in after school activities. I was always busy. I was a bit of a nerd in, in a good way. Um, uh, always in after school activities. You know, just things like the timetables aren't designed for you to want to study English literature mm. and maths at the same time because, you know, they can't imagine that. So it's the, so I did, um, what did I do? English literature, maths, uh, double maths and chemistry. So it's things like I used to have to catch up on my, mm. one of my chemistry lectures I'd miss if I wanted to go to music, so you'd have to, and you know, you shouldn't be having to do that, I don't think, mm. at A-level. Yeah, there's definitely no, there's definitely no encouragement of the polymath. No, definitely, and like I said, um, especially engineering, I'm sure this is true of more, um, true, what's the word I'm looking for, pure sciences as well, there's so much creativity in engineering, because it's problem solving at the end of the day, even though I think people, especially when I was younger, I had the notion that I liked maths and science because there was always a right and a wrong, but that's not the case at all. Um, and there is so much creativity and there are, there are grey areas 
and there are you know there are arguments to be had um so i think you miss out on a lot if you don't encourage your creative mind into stem fields i completely agree with you so was your dad a kind of role model then i mean it sounds like your mum heavily influenced you too but were they people that you kind of followed and that's how you ended up doing what you're doing today or were there other influences uh, yeah, my mum and dad are definitely big influences. Um, they've been massive supports with, uh, you know, just doing extra things outside, um, you know, put, allowing me to see as much of the world and as many different things from as many different perspectives as I can. Definitely role models. And they were both the first in their family to go to university. So that's, you know, something you want to continue as much as possible um, and live up to um, in some ways. I think. There are other influences. Um, I mean, I always looked up to. I think I, <laughs> I think I always just gravitated towards looking up to other Black women, um, even if it was a field that I wasn't necessarily uh, interested in. So I just, um, I remember looking up massively to Mallory Blackman, who's an author. But um, so I knew I didn't want to write books, but just um, her, just her I'm, tenacity exactly I met her once and she signed my copy of um, the book Lots mm-hmm. of Crosses and it's just that idea of seeing yeah. somebody who was a bit more like me in a space of power and just confident and writing her views and opinions and everyone um, being on board with it or listening so you know I, I think she was also in a way an influence um, yeah on me to just have seen seen something a bit different in a place of you know power and success yeah I mean I must say that I sometimes get a bit bored with the gender debate because it's really about personality I mean I've met men who are so enlightened and Mm -hmm. so evolved um and you know I look up to them um, as well as women. And so yes. sometimes our role models are just very counterintuitive, but it's it's more of a essence of someone rather than, um, you know, these clunky labels of gender and race and things like that. Yeah, I totally agree with that. Um, sometimes when you're talk, talking in certain circles, may they be feminist, may they be um, in BAME communities, you feel the pressure for your role models to have been these really unique, <laughs> you know, first black woman yeah. did this, first person. And sometimes it's just, you know, my head teacher, I, my, my chemistry teacher, for example, at school, I think of her as a massive role model. And she's a very middle class white woman. Right. <laughs> and, but I, I think she was brilliant. She totally made me see chemistry as more than just um learning formulas or learning what has historically been mm. done she made me see it in much more way of learn the foundation and then you make something new I hadn't really thought of science like that before she taught me wow you got really lucky there yes definitely <laughs> definitely I was lucky with that chemistry teacher I always found chemistry such a mystery like I, it was like another language I just could not wrap my head around it yeah different for everyone yeah I am very much like that with sports for example I can't 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 get my head around how you'd want to study something like that but my brother's totally different that's his jam so we all have our own thing yeah totally um so what was it like as a female a female mixed race in chemistry I never saw it as an issue not an issue yeah I never saw it as an issue or in a way that I was different I as I said I've been very lucky in my upbringing I was brought up in a bubble 
um, where I could do anything and be anything um, until probably I left school. I, I was quite academic, so you could kind of, that allows you certain privileges in a school environment that it mm. might not have done otherwise. Um, so I didn't really question it, or it didn't really come into my mind that I was a woman um, and mixed race doing this until university when within like the first few weeks we were in a lecture and we were asked, oh, as women, why did we decide to do this? And what made us make this different choice um, that isn't really normal? And that was kind of the first time I had, I, I was, I was, the difference was highlighted to me um, that, you know, it mm. wasn't what was expected of me. I've never had anything out, right. obviously horrible happen. Um, I've only been, I've only, I graduated two years ago. Um, and so I spent five years in university but it's, it's all the subtle things, like, for example, when I went home in the summers and was working in a coffee shop um, and people used to ask, oh, what, where have I been? What have I been doing? Blah, blah, blah. And it's that look mm. of surprise on people's faces yeah. when you say what you're doing um, that for whatever reason they're not expecting. And now, uh, now at my job, when I go into meetings, this tends to be when you're in meetings with external people, not within my company. Um, and if they don't know who I am you can see the kind of they can't when I yeah when I come in and shake their hand and say oh my Olivia and I'm quite young to have the responsibility that I do um you can see the kind of layers of the, it isn't quite clicking mm. in their head and they're trying to you know what I mean the look of they're trying to amalgamate all the different assumptions they've made in their head and then continuing the conversation it's things like uh people don't just and people talk to me a little bit like I, mm. I don't know what I'm they assume that I know nothing starting the conversation and you have to kind of like drop in bits or ask questions in such a way that lets people know that no I'm not I don't know everything but I have a wealth of education that sounds like a lot of hard work um, so you can't just <laughs> you can't just pull the wool over my eyes well, mm. it's, it's not all the time but it's enough that I've noticed <laughs> and um, you know there's another layer beyond being just a woman being um, mixed race as well and you know you your journey I <laughs> it was always obvious I always knew in myself that I was a woman if that's if this is the right way to put it but you kind of just realize later on right that you're not white that was how it works for me anyway it wasn't like and it's it's so my journey with my racial identity and how that has informed my work is quite uh, it's hard it's hard to put into words because I wasn't very comfortable talking I was always quite independent and feminist and ugh, I can do anything that a boy can do I don't care that's always been part of my personality or my way of being but I only became I've only in the last few years been comfortable talking around my racial identity and exploring that and work it in whatever it may be um so it's it's mm. it's um I think that has probably informed a little bit of how 
it comes into my work. Like I'm much more willing to call someone out on something that's not feminist than something that is right from comes from a racial undertone. So I'm building that side of my mm. identity. Yes, yeah. That confidence. In a, at a slower rate than my yeah. Um, if we were to break it down then, like, first of all, how have you felt getting that kind of reception about who you are when you've walked into a room of strangers? It's not nice. <laughs> it is definitely not a nice feeling. You, Because uh, you start out, it's the feeling of starting out on the back foot. Right. And yeah. nothing that you've done. Like, there's no, I can't control that. I don't want to make it sound like it's horrible and it's not something you can come over. It's definitely not constant. Um, but it's that feeling of having to prove yourself. Um, and I think everyone has that little bit when they graduate and you're in a new job and you're doing a new thing. That's obviously the way, you know, people feel. Mm. But um, it just feels a little bit more constant um, and a little bit more unnecessary. and Additional work yeah it's definitely additional work and it's it's what part and it, it it doesn't really matter it's their problem whoever it is but it's almost like you're thinking to yourself what part of my identity do they have an issue with or didn't make sense to them mm. given the job that I do I mean um, yeah. with those kinds of issues I must say that sometimes when you vocalize them people go oh don't play the victim you know just just get on with it and you think about that when you're about to yeah yeah I mean how do you deal with that how do you deal with that because like literally you want to speak up you want to stand your ground but you don't want to come across as being a being a whining moaning victim so Mm -hmm. like how do you handle it I do not have the answer to that question (laughs) it's something I'm still working out I have been there's um, times within my role at my this job that I've actively thought I'm not going to say anything because I don't want to be labelled as that bullshit mm. whatever girl who always brings things back to I'm mixed race and female or, or always brings things <laughs> back yeah exactly or who um, uh, or be be given that flag right. to carry to be, make it or better. put another way be um, that, exactly that's not my responsibility. you don't want to have the yeah. responsibility of of representing that exactly so there's points where I've kind of yeah not said things I think it's uh, the I always have so there's always somebody I can talk to things about even if it's not mass action or telling my boss that or telling my professor that or whatever it is there's always somebody that I can vocalize these things to which helps massively Mm. because you can't just let things fester (laughs) um yeah I mean first of all how did you identify those people um so I think my best friend at university um we've just always been on the same level about this it took time to grow that confidence um Mm. And I think it, a lot of it was a a personal um, development as well. Um, yeah, I probably always could have trusted her with those things much sooner in our relationship, but I needed to get to the point where I could talk about it all. 
um, to that yeah. part of it. My mum and my dad, to an extent, um, but it's a funny dynamic. As somebody who is mixed race, you are not the same race as either your mum or your dad. Right. In some on some level. Mm. Um, You're neither that or this. You know. Yeah, to the outside world anyway. Obviously, I'm my parents' children. <laughs> but I so sometimes that can be a funny dynamic to navigate. Mm. I really relate because I was born in this country and my parents were not. Um, mm-hmm. And so I'm not, I wouldn't say I'm British or English. Neither am I Sri Lankan or Malaysian, you know. And it's kind of like I don't quite know what I am. Yeah, exactly. And that's part of it. And um, it can be hard sometimes because obviously a family dynamic is there's so many emotions and so many things at play there. It can be hard sometimes to voice how you feel. Because mm. um, sometimes we don't even know. It can just be a statement unto itself. Yeah. And it, that's nothing. It's This is just how I feel. It kind of, it just means that. It doesn't mean anything yeah. else. Um, and I think sometimes it can be hard to talk to your parents about that because it's a lot of their choices has informed yeah. your life and it's not it's not a blame game but it's it, but anyway so that can be a fun yeah. dynamic, to na- dynamic to navigate sometimes but I definitely talk to my parents about it mm. much more now than I did seven years ago or something like that you said something earlier actually that was deeply fascinating where you said you know it took time to talk about this stuff and I, I mm-hmm. really understood what you meant because sometimes we don't even know that we are going through some kind of discrimination. Definitely. Um, I think, yeah, it's hard. Uh, it's hard to put into words, isn't it? Um, you are, again, I'm quite a confident person. I was raised, um, like I say, in this little bubble uh, to an extent where anything is possible and everything is possible. So you don't realise the little things that are happening on the outside. And it kind of took the first overtly racist thing that happened to me when I left the university to kind of, you know, start exploring that part of me more than anything else, uh, or not more than anything else, or more actively and think about those things. And then it kind of, so I was on the bus home from, I worked throughout all of university to help pay for it. Um, and I was on the bus home and somebody some drunk man just said what are you doing on this bus you n-word go back to your country and it was the most kind of like (laughs) horrible thing for me anyway having grown up you know in my nice little world where I was the same as everyone um to happen and it was all I didn't really register it happening at the time because I wasn't paying attention and you don't really twig and then everyone on the bus is kind of like oh just ignore him it's fine and then I kind of got off the bus and had a nice cry on the phone to my mum to be like, yeah. why did I come here? It's only been three weeks um, and this has happened. Mm. So it kind of took that to, for me to engage with, um, you know, my racial identity more. And then, you know, when I was talking to friends about that and they'd go, oh, my God, I didn't even think of you as mixed race. I just assumed you were black. And that's like good friend. And not, that's nothing wrong with that, but it's just uh, you start realizing how um, how much people just want to label you, um, and how 
there is little consideration for if you agree with that label um and if that right. identifies with you so then you start you know and then once you know I could have those conversations with my parents and you grow from there and then there's a, a group of people who I work with um who are you know you could it's hard to it's hard to say how you realize that people are on the same brainwave as you about these things but you what I is good it's... about where I work is there is a lot of open conversation um so you can you can kind of uh, get a feeling of people a lot quicker mm. I guess you really at a gut level know when someone just accepts you for who you are definitely, definitely. you just know um like it, there's no check this. you just have a sense of it and um and I think it is really important to um gather a strong support network of people that are in your corner sort of thing Definitely. And I'm, I'm so glad yeah. that you mentioned it because I think, you know, there are going to be times when we're taken by surprise because we don't actually realize or we don't remember that we're different. Because, I mean, we were just born here and, you know, yeah, we don't, you know, we don't kind of, we're not outside looking in, we're inside looking out, you know, and we just feel yeah. human. That's, that's, that's how I felt. I've always just felt really human. Um, yeah and it it almost takes somebody else to highlight your difference before you're like oh yeah yeah and then that creates a whole round of questions for you that you didn't realize were even part of the equation yeah um you know I always joke with my brother um I remember kind of the first day of primary school when I realized that I wasn't white and it's weird to up until that point for that to just not have be, even been part of my consciousness I think I was mm, like seven yeah. or something like that because you lived in this world where everyone with just people that you played with <laughs> and yeah. then all of a sudden that stopped <laughs> and yeah it's, it's kind of a little bit heartbreaking because you know mixed race just tend to be so beautiful and interesting you know and I just you know I find it heartbreaking that you know we're not celebrated for our diversity you know definitely and I think there's uh, you know mixed race is such a vague term and all-encompassing and I think I you know you know uh, you can argue that race is, race is a social construct and you know it's it's all not, not meaningless that's a bit harsh but it it's all what we enforce on ourselves and I think at the end of the day you know we're seven billion people we're all mixed race on some level. Nobody is one singular entity. Mm. Um, so I feel like, yeah, it would just be nicer. This is going to sound very hippy dippy, but it would be just nice if everyone just embraced each other for who they were and we could move on from <laughs> having to, you know, label and separate and highlight differences when fundamentally you know, we're all much of the same. Yeah, I mean, I wholeheartedly um agree with you like I just you know if it's hippy dippy then so be it I just really feel that everyone <laughs> should just um celebrate each other instead of knocking each other down and I I feel that arguments on race are just massively ignorant um yeah. and uh it drives me crazy um but has it sort of like like occasions like on the bus with that drunk man like have those um events kind of stuck with you or are you able to shake them off 
Um, I don't, yeah, I think I've remembered it. I'll, it's something I'll never forget and I'll never forget the feeling, but I have to dig it out, if that makes sense. It's not constantly there. It's not constantly playing on my mind. It's something that I won't forget in any rush, but it's not, it wasn't um, such, it's not so, had such an impact that I haven't been able to move on on some level. Mm. And it's, you know, it has made me part, all of those events made you, make you who you are today. And had that not happened, I probably wouldn't have engaged so much with my racial identity and explored other things that I wouldn't have anyway I grew up in a very suburban kind of white middle class environment so you don't you have to seek out a lot of the um uh just an information beyond that profile um so learning more and more about my dad's family um and just you know black history or different ethnicities history beyond mm. what you'll learn at school and engaging mm. in that whole conversation and movement um, yeah you have to do on your own time um and had various incidents not happened I might not have done that and I might be down today um and engaged with all the various you know political intersections that come from being um a woman of color mm. for want of a better turn of phrase so I wouldn't say it's a good thing. It's not like I wanted it to happen, <laughs> but I can appreciate how it's informed what I've become today. And I, like I say, I'm lucky and I have a support network. I could just call my mum and have a cry. And then my dad would call me back and give me all the sensible advice. Mm. And my mum would give me the emotional support. Mm. So, you know, I am very lucky um, that I could just talk it out and it, it will be okay. But if you didn't have that, it could be a lot worse. Mm. I mean, on one level, it sounds like a very sumptuous personal exploration, which <laughs> is just great, you know, to like have all this rich history on both sides that you can delve into and is very unique to you. I mean, it's kind of awesome. Yeah, it is. I like to think of it as a, <laughs> as a privilege, definitely. Yeah. And yeah, to have the to have the ability to engage with that, I think, is a massive advantage and probably has made me so so interested to an extent in sustainability mm. and keeping what we have going or making it better is because I've learned about two histories and the journey that had to take place for my mum and dad to be in the same place and me and that's something that I don't want to waste or you know um you know uh want to continue that world and allow other people to have those experiences so I definitely think it's it's informed both kind of my personal life and then you know my professional yeah. life in some way yeah I mean listening to you it kind of highlights the need for just the message to be conveyed from an early age that we should really just celebrate who we are instead of comparing our differences and feeling bad about them because I mean you know when you get off the mm -hmm. bus and you feel like you have to cry it out it's like you know if we had the message instilled in us that that person is clearly ignorant and there's absolutely nothing wrong with you. Um, maybe there would have been a very different reaction, but we are sort of like raised to believe that um, someone's ignorance is kind of our problem. 
Yeah, no, that I, I, yeah, I would agree with that. That's a good way of putting it. You very rarely, and it's hard because you've got to build up. I think now, I would be much more likely to have that opinion. Um, mm. But it's yeah. hard, you know, when you're a teenager, there's enough, <laughs> there's enough going on without you having to yeah. um, build that level of armor as well. Um, so I think it's yeah. something that comes with time. Um, yeah, for sure. Generally, but have everyone be able to have access to that as soon as possible, definitely. That message mm. has got to be um, given out from as early as possible. Yeah. So how about the subject of being female then? Like, it sounds like you have a lot of responsibility in your job. You know, how mm-hmm. do you carry yourself with your chin up high knowing that, you know, you're female in a very male-dominated world? Yeah. Um, so in my immediate team where I work with, we are quite evenly split with men and women. Um but I don't work directly in a team of engineers. So it's when I go out into the engineering bit, then it is much more male dominated. So I think it's nice in my day to day because you're not, it's not so obvious you're thinking about that. You're just in an office of, of friends and colleagues that you get on mm. with. I think I just, I know you've got to I carry myself with a relative amount of confidence um but not too much um it's that balance between I dress smart and how I want to dress but not too much this way and not too much that way and I have confidence but not too much and with different people you behave in different ways and it's so much of it is just intuition and how you act and uh, there is definitely a next level of that being a woman um, it is always intuition how you behave around different people, regardless of you know who you are, what you're doing. But there yeah. is a, 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 a different level of that being a woman in a male-dominated field. I I'm a good communicator, as is not the stereotype for engineers, <laughs> um, and I get on well with people, and I use that to my advantage. Um, so I know I kind of am aware of my own skill set and use that. So I think people can get really intimidated, and this is men and women, if you sound really technical and all of a sudden they don't understand mm. and it's scary because they feel inferior to you. Um, I personally love that feeling <laughs> because I feel like, yes, I've got more to learn. and Why don't I know this? I love that feeling. But generally speaking, people don't like it. So I think... I just kind of cater my my working way into not not making people feel that way you can you can but does that mean you're compromising yourself um, I not enough that it bothers me (laughs) um I think and some people might be asking, what does she mean by compromising? And what I hear you describe is that situation where you are smart, you are capable, you are badass, and you kind of want to turn down the volume on that because you don't want to be rejected by others. Yeah, I think, yes and no. I think on in some level, I am totally myself nobody's totally themselves at work (laughs) but um I'm everything I'd want to be at work um Mm. but there's certain environments where you you have to change that and like I say I I would like to believe and again this is my first job I'm fresh 
maybe I'll become more jaded in time. But I'd like to believe that's something that everyone has to do on some level. Yeah. Um, what, tone it down? Tone it down or change change how you are in different environments. You can't be right. everything always. Um, mm. But I feel like I get, I love it when I can explain something that I've had to read 10 different papers about, search words, mull over at night, throw attention because I can't understand. And I can explain that idea or that concept to somebody who mm-hmm. hasn't really engaged with chemistry or engineering and for them to understand it, that's rewarding for me. Um, and my in my immediate circle at work, there's not a lot of people with my same skill set. We're quite a, a unique team of different skill sets brought together. That's quite a lot of what I do. Um, and that's I really mm-hmm. like that feeling and being able to do that. And I think having developed that skills has really helped me be be a female engineer in certain spaces because it's almost like, and again, I, I appreciate what you're saying as well. Are you having to turn up who you are? But it's almost like a little bit of a sneak attack. You know, they don't realise that you're coming in with X, Y, Z and then you can do that. And hopefully they'll be like, that will allow their minds to be changed a little bit on what a woman or and an engineer can offer and then the next time when they meet someone mm. they'll go in with a totally open mind and maybe I'm doing that preemptively because mm. it's so hard to read all these small signals and understanding but that's kind of kind of my approach at the moment and it feels like it's working <laughs> right well I must say in listening to you um it doesn't sound like you have to tailor yourself to your audience it sounds like you've got so much genuine passion for what you do and it really is profound in you that when you talk about yourself and your job and things like that you immediately conjure up a sense of trust in the sense that when I'm listening to you I I I genuinely believe I'm listening to someone that is being authentic yeah, I don't, I don't really have much of much mystery or much of a mask to me, so I think that's that's mm. true as well. But you know, I've just like I was saying, it's taken me a not a long time. I'm still I'm still in my twenties, but it's taken me a while to get to the place I am where I'm confident enough to talk about race and feminism and X Y Z mm. to people. So now that I'm there. I'm there. <laughs> and that's kind of, yeah, yeah that I'm not going to go back. Do you think you're there because you got to an age where you are just comfortable in your own skin? Uh, definitely. That's part of it. Um, I, th- I, yeah, I think that's part of it. I think also I, it's a different world. <laughs> she says like she's 80 years old. It's a different world to how I was when I was, you know, 30 and 40, but it has changed massively um, mm. in such a short space of time. Uh, How is the world different? Well, it might be surface level, but there's there's a lot more diversity yeah. in, in, in the general space, the public space, than there was when I was a kid. Like I say, I hung on to Mallory Blackman because she was one of the few different faces um it kind of in my orbit and that's so not the case nowadays you know the internet you can find um 
you can find your support system in your community in the whole world it doesn't have to be somebody you can walk to their house or you know you've met in real life I think that makes a massive difference but so you I feel like maybe I could have come to this place sooner but I think you know between navigating gender race sexuality xyz it takes a while um and I now uh, yeah I think it's always something that comes with age and finding the right people as well like we said before finding the right people to talk to had I not met so kind of like my three closest friends I did maybe I wouldn't have you know had that journey in the same way because a lot of different factors but I can't imagine 14 year old me being so so vocal and so confident I mean you definitely are starting your career at a time when it's never been so great for women and so great for ethnic minorities, I think, in STEM. Mm-hmm. So yeah. whatever you're nav- navigating through, um, I feel like today there is more support and more understanding out there. Not to say that it's easy. Definitely, definitely. No, I, 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 I am very appreciative of the time in which I'm coming into this. Um, there are support systems. People are people are open to conversation. I think even if you know uh, it's not a perfect place, I think people are so much more open to conversation and learnings than than mm. than they have ever been before. Um, and that's a massive part of it. And I've got. I'm never going to be the first black woman or mixed race woman to do anything. And that's a good thing in my head. You know, there's people have done much more amazing, much more difficult things than I'll ever have to do. And now I can just kind of ride in that wake. And I'm very grateful for that. Um, Mm. Yeah, very grateful. Well, you still have such a long career ahead of you. Who knows where it might take you? (laughs) But actually, on that note, like as a woman, we can do many things. We can go down very different paths. Um, You said you spent five years at university. That's a massive investment in your career. How does other things like, you know, family, relationships and all of that fit into the equation? (laughs) Um, I do not know. Um, So I always have that thought of kind of, well, always. As a woman, I think it's something that crosses your radar at some point of the decision to have children and how that fits in. And I've always had the thought of, well, I kind of think I want kids, but I don't want to have them young. But obviously, you don't want to have them too old. And I don't really want to give up a career. um, And but I don't want to for my kids to just be raised by nannies and not be there for them. And I I want to be able to I want to be able to have worked to a point where I feel like I'm a success before going away but you know you have all these different thoughts around what it means and I haven't answered that question in any uh shape or form I think I I'd like to have children but it's not I I would be fine if I didn't so I think I'm just seeing how things Mm. go uh it's one of those things where I probably wouldn't have seen myself here five years ago. So I, I'm quite happy to plan my career and kind of academic or professional mm. progressions. But I don't like planning 
all the other stuff so much because so much is unknown so it's hard to balance yeah I mean that's such a great way it's such a great way of putting it because you know with careers in STEM or not in STEM it's really quite controllable in a sense yes. that you know if you want to study a certain subject you study it and you get good grades and that's completely up to you and mm-hmm. you know going for your first job you apply like it's all within reach yeah. whereas something like meeting the man of your dreams or the partner of your dreams and having children and things like that is so up to chance and so yeah. I think for women in STEM and certainly my story I just went for the stuff that I could determine myself and the rest Definitely. I've just left up to the universe to decide but it yeah. kind of felt let, let what little be shall be yeah but it's kind of felt a bit irresponsible to not plan and I don't think the whole egg freezing thing and all of those measures that one can take to invest in our future is really a viable option because so much of it is emotionally driven definitely yeah I've explored the whole egg freezing thing and wow very organized whether I should do it whether, not, well yeah this is what I'm saying so you're not, not explored I mean I always thought about it I um if that's something I should do um because I, mean, I, I looked into it and you can't freeze your eggs too young because then you're not when you when they run out so to speak when they're no longer good for fertilization you're still the age where you can have children it's it's a lot of maths <laughs> to find that the perfect point um to do it but I think it's just yeah I think because I think it's I've never heard like, that on that end of the age spectrum yeah because I was looking at it I'm 25 so I was I always had it in my head around my 25th birthday I'd look into it properly and I'm at the current mm. state anyway and again people can correct me if I'm wrong because this is my own research they only last between eight and 10 years so in eight years time I'd only be 32 which isn't to say that you know obviously the younger the better with certain things but at 32 you can still feasibly have children yeah that's a whole different (laughs) conversation Um, so you're saying the eggs don't become usable after about eight years with current freezing methods I my research has indicated (laughs) wow I did not know that um yeah it's not indefinite um so yeah, I didn't realise until I started looking either. But I think I I totally agree with you. I can control what I can control and I'm getting used to letting go of the other stuff. Um, and I think... Mm. I must say it's fascinating that you have been looking into this yeah, I, I at the age of 25. Because part of me is that planning type A person. Um, so having that information is, mm. is helpful for me. Um but then part of me is is letting that side go because I, I'm a bit of a romantic and I still think if and when I find the love of my life, <laughs> yeah, pro- most of my plans going to change because I will, you know, you you become, you know, priorities change. At the moment, I am, um, yeah, you know, single, having just graduated. I I live for myself in a very very selfish way. <laughs> And obviously, my mum and my dad and my brothers oh, are not the same as having a partner in life. Um, so I can't even imagine um, how much your your whole way of thinking shifts when you're you're considering someone else. So I can't I can't plan right. that. And if and when it happens, we'll see. 
is kind of how I'm going with it now. But yeah. the fact that I've looked into things like freezing eggs and stuff shows that there's there's a pressure and a yeah, and a thought process happening around yeah. that. May it be societal or whatever, where I'm, you know, I'm aware of lots of different elements. And it's like it's like comparing my my mum had me relatively old my I, my mum had me when I was 32 and my brother when she was 36 um that's you know um and it's just that element of comparison to other people so some people compare to their parents don't they so in my mind I'm fine because my mum had me in her 30s that's that's a yeah. while away yet so I've still but some people's parents have had had them in their 20s so that puts a different pressure on you I'm forever seeing people getting pregnant or having kids on Facebook and that's a group of people my age and that puts the fear of God into you because you're like my life is in a totally different place um to where right. yours are but um no. it's I'm funny because I know a lot of people that have their first kids in their early 40s yeah so like so. I say my plan is anything is possible and what will be shall be but you it's weird because you do like somebody asked me are your kids going back to school the other day at work? And I was like, what the hell? <laughs> that was too much <laughs> to be asked. Yeah, so it's, it's, that is um, one label I'm not used to. <laughs> yeah, that's not okay. Um, but <laughs> it will happen. Yeah, it's I love it. happen. It will happen. I, I love this. And um, I'm hoping to not put pressure on it. Right. And I, I love this kind of um, sort of counterbalanced attitude of yours where it's like, stem 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 like very sort of like not binary but that kind of logical rational side mm-hmm. of you but then this other side where it's like ah, what what will be will be like it's great to have that balance <laughs> I think and it feels like yeah. today's yeah. women I'm, I'm actively trying to take away control but, but um, right yeah I think but it sounds like today's woman needs to have that I mean that's that's the conclusion I'm ultimately coming to with doing this podcast is that it really is about balance and juggling and the key to all of it is having a level of self acceptance and self love to get through the challenges really yeah definitely I'd add self-awareness to that because a lot of people like as we've said to label you and put you in a box and if you're not self-aware you can let that become your label and it it might not be the right one and it doesn't have to be but I yeah I totally agree there's it's it's juggling and understanding and appreciating and and then finding people who can support that Mm. so would that be the advice then you would give to any young girls who are thinking about following in your footsteps yeah i'd say as cliche as it sounds anything is possible and don't let whatever preconceived notions the world or people have of you determine it and find people maybe your peers maybe your mentors to talk to and help it's not easy and it's a different kind of difficult for everybody um so and don't be afraid to admit that um and but then keep keep working for what it is you want what a beautiful note to end on thank you so much for coming on this show and sharing your experiences and wisdom with us no thank you for listening to me ramble (laughs) for an hour (laughs) it's been a pleasure (laughs) perfect that's it from my stem guest this week 
What an incredible woman. For someone so young, she has mastered so many kind of internal challenges and conflicts that some of us struggle with for a lifetime. Um, I feel so inspired hearing her story of being mixed race and female, but the level of self-belief and self-love that she has seems to have carried her all the way through it. Thank you so much for listening this week. Don't forget to rate and review the show and catch you next week on Silence.